This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. It is Wednesday, April the 19th, 2023, and what a huge show I've got for you today. It's the Bullpen with Adam the Bull, part of the Bet Rivers Network. And today, I talk with soon-to-be Hall of Famer, Joe Thomas. I'm, and I got to say this to Joe, because I have I don't know whether I say he's already a Hall of Famer, because he's it's got announced, or soon-to-be, because technically he's not a Hall of Famer, I think, until August, in the, in the induction ceremony, when the... The Browns played the Jets that weekend and Hall of Fame weekend. So we'll have to get his opinion on it. Is he a Hall of Famer already? Or is he a Hall of Famer in waiting? What What is it? I have no idea. We'll get to that. Plus the NBA playoffs to start us off. That's all coming up on a huge Wednesday edition of the Bullpen with Adam the Bull. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. You're in the Bullpen with Adam the Bull. All right, folks. Very excited about today's guest. The great Joe Thomas is going to join me in just a couple of minutes. But first, let's talk about the NBA playoffs. Three games last night in the NBA, and let's start with a very competitive series between the Knicks and Cavs. But has it been competitive? Not really. The first game was close, but the Knicks dominated. Game two was not close, but the Cavs dominated. So I guess it is competitive because the series is tied at one. It really shows you not to overreact to one game in the NBA playoffs because the Knicks looked like the way better team after game one. Again, the score was close and the Cavs actually had a lead with two minutes to go, but the Knicks looked like the far superior team. And yesterday it couldn't be more different. The Cavs completely kicked the Knicks ass. They outscored them 34, 17 in the second quarter. And that was it. They win by 17, 107 to 90, the final Darius Garland, who looked like the moment was too big for him in game one, led the way with 32 points on 8 of 17 shooting, 6 of 10 from 3, and 10 of 11 from the line. He had three rebounds and seven assists. A beautiful game. Donovan Mitchell had a huge scoring game in game one in the loss. He took a backseat offensively to Darius Garland, but he also had a monster game. 17 points and a season-high 13 assists for uh, Donovan Mitchell. And this one still shot at well 6 of 11. But it was Garland who took the most shots at 17, and they spread it around. Garland had 17 shots. Lavert had 16, 11 apiece for Mitchell and Mobley, and Jared Allen had five, uh, eight shots. Jetty Osmond had nine. He didn't, Jetty did not shoot it well. But everybody else besides Jetty had a good game. Uh, Lavert off the bench in 40 minutes, 24 points on 9 of 16 from the field, four boards, three rebounds. Uh uh, uh, Mobley had a double-double with 13 and 13, and Jared Allen just missed a double-double with 9 and 10. He also had three assists, three steals, and three blocks. These guys came to play, unlike in Game 1. Meanwhile, the Knicks were frustrated, they were aggravated, and they did not play well. They shot 37% for the field and 24% from three. The starting lineup 
Obviously, Mitchell Robinson doesn't shoot threes. But the other four starters, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, and Quentin Grimes combined. How about this? 17 for 52 from the field. And even worse, four for 20 from three. The Cavs kicked their ass. They got they got the Cavs got dominated on the bench on the on the glass in game one. Not the case here. They out rebound the uh the Knicks 43-36 and one of the most important numbers. Cavs with 26 assists on 38 field goals. That is a, that is exactly where you want to be. So the Cavs even up that series at one apiece. Phoenix Suns did the same last night, beat the Clippers 123-129. Uh, it was it was a close. It was actually tied at fifty nine at halftime, and the the Suns pulled away, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, despite another good game from Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers, who had a huge game one, he had thirty one points, eight rebounds, seven assists, but it wasn't enough. Balanced scoring for the Suns, who did most of it from the starting lineup. All five starters: Durant, Craig, Ayton, uh, Paul, and and Booker all had 14 or more points. They all shot it well. Suns shot 59% from the field and 42% from three. Uh, there's this uh, Craig and, and Booker combined to go nine of 17 from three. Uh, Devin Booker had a great game, 38 points, nine assists. Kevin Durant with 25, six and five. Nice win. In the final game yesterday, of course, uh, Celtics continue to have no problem with Atlanta. They're up 2 nothing. 119-106. Tatum, 29-10-6 and six, uh, in that one. Coming up today, you got uh, 730, Lakers and Grizzlies. Lakers trying to go up 2-0 in that series. The Bucks trying to even it up with the Heat. That game at 9 o'clock. Uh, uh, Giannis is a little banged up. We'll see how he does. I'm expecting the, the, the Bucks to win this one. And then the Timberwolves Nuggets at 10. Uh, I think we're all expecting Denver to go up 2-0 in this series. That should be a sweep. Denver an 8.5 point favorite. Uh, so there you go. Real quick to baseball um, before we, we go to Joe Thomas. Uh, you know what? We got Joe ready. So let's go to Joe now. And then after Joe, come back and do a couple minutes on baseball and wrap things up. But Joe Thomas joins me in the bullpen next right here. It's the bullpen with Adam the Bull, part of the Bet Rivers Network. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. All right. We are back and we are joined by I at this point, Joe, I'm not sure whether to call you a future Hall of Famer, because the, technically you're not in the Hall of Fame until the induction ceremony in August. I, I've been, I've been, it, you know, preparing for this interview all week. I've been doing like promos and I'm like, do I say future Hall of Famer? Do I say Hall of Famer? I guess technically it's future, but you will be enshrined this summer. Are you, is it something you're thinking about every day or is it now that, I mean, you knew it was coming, but once you got the call and they said, hey, you're going to be a Hall of Famer, are you just very chill about it now? Yeah, I'm engaged to be a Hall of Famer, right? So I'm not technically <laughs> married yet, but I'm not single, so right in between. Yeah. Um, but no, it's been really a cool process. Um, after the announcement happened, I've had an opportunity mm -hmm. to kind of do a lot of different podcasts and TV shows and radio interviews, and it gives me a lot of opportunity to kind of reflect on the journey that I went through and all the people and my family members and my teammates that were a huge part of me being able to become a engaged Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really sprouted a lot of memories in my head, which has been really mm -hmm. cool to kind of reflect back on all those things that you maybe don't think about on a daily basis. But when you get asked about the career, you get an opportunity to really enjoy those moments and shoot a text to old buddies that maybe you haven't connected with in a while. 
You know, uh, a while back, I think we talked about you were on the TV show and we talked about like who would induct you into the Hall of Fame Mm -hmm. and you decided to go with your wife. Talk about that decision. Mm Yeah, so I honestly haven't watched a lot of the enshrinements because I've just been always busy that time of year. Sure. Um, and I always kind of had this perspective that it was probably going to be like a, a coach or a former teammate or maybe somebody within the Browns organization that was really meaningful to me. And I had a lot of people that were possible candidates, but I learned that uh, now they do a recorded video. So the person that's your presenter doesn't have to actually stand up there behind the dais and give a speech. And that was a big moment for me because I was like, oh, perfect. Like who has been more of a part of my journey to the Hall of Fame than my wife and my kids? There's nobody, right? And so for for me, it was an easy decision to to name her and my kids as as the presenters and do that video since I didn't have to worry about putting the pressure on them to stand up on stage in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people and give that presentation. But they certainly have been the most meaningful, the most impactful to my career, the rock that I leaned on when I came home and things were tough, which happened occasionally. Uh, So I was really excited to let them know that I wanted them to be my presenters. Joe, how old were you? When you, or if you can remember, when you said to yourself, or if you ever said this, I can, A, I can play in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, going back to the fishing boat with your dad on the day you got drafted, like, did you honest, did you think of yourself at the time saying, like, I could be as good as anybody in this league, that I'm going to be a great player? Was that ever a thought in your mind? Well, it's part of the reason that it's been sort of surreal even since I've been inducted officially to the Hall of Fame and the announcement was made is that I've never really let myself think of my, my, my own career as a Hall of Fame career or myself as a Hall of Famer. So it really wasn't even until my junior year in college when I realized, hey, I might be able to make a living playing football because I was just focused on having fun. I loved playing football. I loved doing it with my teammates. I loved every part of it. Meetings, practice, training, training table, like to eat a little bit. It was it was all awesome. Like and so I was just enjoying every day. And it wasn't until we had scouts at our practices asking me my junior year if I was going to leave early for the NFL draft. And then I put my name into the NFL draft pool where they give you like an underclassman grade and they'll let you know like hey if you come out this year you'll probably be picked here or you know for me they said I was probably going to be the second offensive tackle taken which would have put me like somewhere between the top five and top ten and so that was kind of a slap you in the face moment where I was like hey I'm pretty good I'm good enough at least to play in the NFL certainly and then once I was in the NFL it really wasn't until the back half of my career after I'd racked up six or seven Pro Bowls where I realized like, wow, if I keep going at this trajectory, I've got a chance to become a Hall of Famer. So it's, I think part of the reason I was able to just kind of stay focused is I never looked too far down the line. And I always just enjoyed every day for the sake of all the enjoyment of having teammates and being a football player and having the opportunity to make a living playing in the NFL. You know, I think what of the many, many things that stand out about your career, it's, um, you know, the fact that you, until you got hurt at the end and then retired, you played every snap, right? And and it, it's something in the media that we talked about a lot, especially once you were, you know, fairly deep into your career. At, at what point did that become a thing for you? Did it ever? And like, how it was, was there a, a, a pride level in that, that you like, this is my job. I got to play every play. I have to be out there. Reflecting back on my career, that's definitely the thing I'm the most proud of is those 10,363 consecutive snaps. And I remember that number because I've had to sign it a lot since I retired (laughs) on people's balls and jerseys and uh, helmets, things of that sort. 
And I think the reason I'm the most proud of it is because to me, that is the measure of a teammate is like, how many times did you show up when you could, when you could barely walk, when you easily could have sat it out and thought about yourself, but you dug deep inside yourself and you got out there and you played at your best, whatever that looked like on that day, because you wanted to be there for your teammates. Like as an offensive lineman, there's no individual glory. The only time we get attention is sacks and penalties. And so for me, it was, it was the measure of being out there trying to help those other guys around me for giving them a platform so that they could succeed. And so I've got a lot of pride in that number, but it really wasn't probably until like year six or seven when Dan Murphy, who's the PR guy who I always worked with, with the Browns, the great Dan Murphy, no face Dan, if you're a fan of the Tomahawk show, um, (laughs) he came to me after one of the seasons, I think it was like year six and said, Hey, uh, congratulations. You played every play. And I was like, yeah, I know I didn't get hurt. And he goes, you know what? And after, I looked and saw that you were one of a couple guys that played every snap. I went back and I noticed like last year you played every snap the year before you played every snap. And he goes, I looked every year you've been here and I don't think you've missed a snap. And he asked me, do you remember ever coming out? And I said, you know what, now that you think about it, I don't think I've ever come out. And then we looked and officially, you know, didn't have any missed snaps. And so then at that point I kind of had it in the back of my head, but it really wasn't a number I was shooting for probably until about year nine when I realized I was getting close to 10,000. And I yeah. was like, hey, if I can get to 10,000, that'd be kind of cool. It would be, and it certainly is. And, and you know, you talk about the offensive linemen, and you're right. They, you don't get any recognition basically unless you screw up, right? When you, yeah. when you play a great game, we don't usually talk about you. But And what makes it so impressive, like all the Pro Bowls and the All-Pros that you earned, is that a lot of times it's hard for an offensive lineman to get that recognition on a bad team. Because usually, because the average, there's no stats. You guys don't really have any stats. So I, I feel like the the good offensive linemen on the good teams usually get more recognition. So to stand out and, and amongst your peers and the media on a bad team means you have to be probably even better than the good guys on the good team because usually t- people aren't paying as much attention to the bad team. And so I think that's incredible that people realized how good you were even though you didn't have the talent around you that other guys did. Yeah. We always look at, all right, who are the offensive linemen that are making the pro bowl? Typically it's the guys that have a running back. That's had a great season. That's right. Team has had a great season. And then you have a quarterback that's thrown for a lot of yardage. Right. I feel really fortunate that my rookie year, we won 10 games, didn't make the playoffs, but it gave me at least an opportunity for people to turn on the tape and go, Hey, what is the Browns offensive line doing? Because all of a sudden out of nowhere, They've had a pretty good season. And I think that really helped. And that was one of the things I felt bad for Joel because he should have been making Pro Bowls like almost Absolutely. right out the gate. But Absolutely. we just didn't have a very good team. And it really almost wasn't until Kyle Shanahan was here and we were running for a lot of yardage that people started realizing, hey, that left guard in Cleveland's pretty good. And then once he got the notoriety and got his name out there, now yeah. he's a perennial Pro Bowl like I was. But certainly I benefited from having that successful season in That's 2007. True. You know, we, we've discussed uh, when I was on the radio and we've discussed it on the TV show because before, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of Browns Hall of Famers in recent years, mm-hmm. as you know, and we were discussing recently who is the next Hall of Famer after you. And obviously, Miles ne- Garrett name comes mm-hmm. up. He's got to do it longer. Same with Nick Chubb, probably, mm-hmm. but they're on that track. But I've often brought up Joe. I like. I, I think you're right. I think he should have been recognized earlier. I think he's one of, if not the best guard in football today. Yeah. And I think he's got a chance, and and maybe he's already there. Maybe maybe he needs another year or two. I don't know. 
But I think he's either close or on the cusp, right, of being mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. Do you think so? Yeah, Miles Garrett, uh, Alex Mack, Joel Batonio, yeah. three guys I played with yeah. that all have legit shots to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's one of my dreams to have one of my other teammates yeah. to come into the Hall of Fame with me. And obviously, like you mentioned, with Miles and Joel, they've got some runway to go still, right? Because yeah. longevity is a big part of the Hall of Fame. It's not just about how bright your star is. You got to be able to keep it going for a long career. Um, yeah. And I think Joel is right there. Like, a couple more seasons and he's definitely in that conversation of being a hall of fame guard. And I think miles has a little bit longer to go because uh, he is a lot younger, but he's right up there. Like, especially if this team starts making the playoffs, he's going to have opportunities for more sacks and he's going to get those defensive player of the year nods that I think he's deserving of, but he needs those stats to be able to follow through with the performance he's doing on a daily basis, which as you know, when teams are running for a lot of yards on you, and you're losing, so you're not getting pass rush opportunities in the fourth quarter. It's hard to rack up stats, and people just don't recognize how good Miles Garrett really has been. Yeah, and no doubt. And part of that has been the talent around him. I mean, really, he really right. hasn't. You know, you look at J.J. <laughs> Watt, you look at some of these other defensive linemen that are impact guys that make big plays, and these guys all have better talent around them mm-hmm. than Miles Garrett's had. I, you know, the Browns have made a point this offseason of spending some money. They've brought in a couple of, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson and Oboe Akankro, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, and and they've even some some guys on on smaller contracts. They've kind of made the point this offseason of trying to get him some help, but he really hasn't had that to this point. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's one of the challenges when you're a defensive end is if there's nobody else that the offensive line is worried about, well, they're just going to move the protection to you and you're going to basically be double teamed. Whether you got four hands on you or not, they've got two guys assigned to you no matter where you're going to go because they're not worried about any of the other one-on-one matchups. So like to your point, I mean, J.J. Watt always had Clowney over there at his peak. He had uh, a bunch of other good pass rushers on that line. And and that's really when those guys are able to make big jumps because the difference in our perception of how a season goes when a guy gets 10 sacks versus 16 is enormous. And 16 versus 20 is outrageous. But really, it's just a a small handful of pass protection sets. Uh, And so having that other guy to draw some of the some of the pass protection to draw some of those blockers is huge. And I think for miles to have uh Ogbo, I think it's Okaronkwo, but Okaronkwo. I'm not exactly yeah. sure I could be wrong there, but yeah. certainly I know how to say Dalvin Tomlinson. That was yes. an easy one when we signed him. And I was really excited about that yeah. because he's a great run defender, obviously, which yeah. had been the Achilles heel last year for the Browns. And I think they yeah. realized that the way they've built the, the defense, at least in years past was all right we need to be able to stop the Lamar Jackson. So we need to be able to stop the spread team. So we want all these fast linebackers, fast safeties, bunch of DBs. Yeah. But if teams are running for five and a half yards a clip, it doesn't matter how fast yeah. your guys in the secondary are. If anything, right. that hurts you because now you got small guys at linebacker, small right. guys at safety, and they're just going to steamroll you. So in order for guys like JOK to be able to be free and to run and to be able to use their athleticism, you got to be able to stop the run. And that's yeah. why they brought in Tal- Dalvin Tomlinson. And that's why they, they brought in Ogbo because – He's a guy that can pair with Miles Garrett to take some of that pressure uh, off of Miles. And I do expect in this draft, you can get some value uh, yeah. at defensive tackle in that third, fourth round area. And I, I would expect another defensive lineman to try to help shore up something on the inside there for uh, the Browns because that defensive line was porous all season long. Brutal. Um, 
when you obviously the Browns have not had consistent quarterback play. That's the understatement of the year. You know, you had the one year, of course, with Derek Anderson. Baker Mayfield had his moment in the sun. But mm-hmm. really, since Bernie, there's never been a consistent quarterback year after year. We know Deshaun Watson in Houston for the three years and change he was there was fantastic. He was a mm-hmm. Pro Bowl caliber player. Now, he didn't play at that level, obviously, last year. There's reasons yeah. for it. He was rusty. He had played in almost two full years. The expectation I know from me, and I think most people, and I assume the Browns, is that he's going to get back to playing at that Pro Bowl level. The one thing I didn't consider uh, when the Browns traded for him, because I thought it was a no-brainer despite the -the off-the-field stuff, because the on-field talent is great, was that mentally, like getting over the hurdles of everybody hates you and all this stuff, you played. Obviously, you didn't have to deal with anything of that because you you had – Never gotten any trouble, obviously. But is, is that the biggest hurdle for him at this point, is getting over that and getting maybe that that cocky, that swag or whatever it is to, to play at that high level again? I think his biggest hurdle is just going out and consistently performing to the level where people in Cleveland, because yeah. outside of Cleveland, people are always going to hate him, right? It's just right. the nature of sports and then the nature of being a guy who got in trouble off the field. Right. But in Cleveland, I think having consistent performance success where you're feeling like your old self on the field. I think that's his biggest hurdle, but I do think there is a component of it as when he was in Houston, Deshaun Watson was like one of the darlings of the NFL as far as sparkly off the field reputation, amazing story, how he grew up with a single mother, how um, he lived in a house that was um, a house that was built for his family from a Warwick Dunn with like a Habitat for Humanity type story and how he gave back of his time and millions of dollars in Houston. His teammates loved him. Like this was the guy before the the um, accusations came out that was like one of the faces that the NFL was trying to push out there like, hey, yeah. look and see how amazing our players are. They're the most wonderful humans on earth. Yeah. And so I think to go from having everybody, not just Houston Texans fans, but everybody in the NFL loving you, no matter where you go, to kind of having that feeling like wherever you go, people are looking at me and judging me, has got to be a really difficult mental space to be in. And then when you weigh that with struggling to come back and knock the rust off on the field and having your own fans wonder if you were worth the huge amount of resources that your team gave up to be able to get you there, it's got to be so many things that are just distracting your mind from being able to focus on trying to be the best quarterback in the NFL, which is the hardest position in all of sports. So I think those things do kind of go together, but hopefully the on-field success will come and then he'll be able to sort of clear his mind a little bit and focus on what he needs to do. Because the difference between good and great at quarterback means a big difference in the win column, No doubt, but it's a very small margin. I mean, that's why they pay those guys that are at the upper echelon at quarterback. You know, now that Jalen Hurts' deal is done 50 million a year, because just that little bit of extra performance, it's hard to get to, but when you have it, it means everything to your team. Last thing on the Browns. And I want to get to some other teams in the AFC North, Joe, and I want to go back to during your time again, if Josh Gordon had Mm. stayed on the straight and narrow, had he been all about football and nothing else, how good would he have been? Was he was he Hall of Fame capable? Absolutely. I mean, he was the talent of Calvin Johnson, and I think that anybody that played against him or played with him would tell you the exact same thing. I mean, he had everything you wanted, right? He had size. He was actually really, really bright in, in spite of the off-the-field demons that he had. Like, he picked up offenses and concepts really quickly. You talked to Brian Hoyer, guys like Jason Campbell that threw to him. Like, yeah. he was really good at adjusting he saw the defenses, 
Like, so he had the mental component on the field, at least. Um, he was extremely fast and he had these really long, powerful strides that I think, especially first time for defensive backs when they went against him, they didn't realize how fast he was moving because he didn't look like he was turning his legs over all that quickly, but he was a long, powerful strider, a lot like a Calvin Johnson. And he had some quickness to him, but he had some of the best hands I've ever seen. I mean, you talk about one-handed catches with like Odell Beckham being able to go up in traffic and come down because he was a big, strong guy. I mean, he really had everything you could possibly want from a receiver, but he did have those addiction issues off the field that he was just never able to shake. What a shame. Um, let's get to – I want to get your take on on Lamar Jackson in this situation. Yeah, Lamar won an MVP. When he's healthy, especially his first couple of years in the league, he seemed unstoppable. The last two years, he hasn't been as good, if we're fair about it, and obviously he's been injured. So I think it's one of the toughest situations because you know what the upside is with him, but also he's injury prone, especially the way he plays. I mean, how do you think this is going to end up working itself out? I don't know. Honestly, yeah. I could totally see it. It's a coin flip, whether he stays in Baltimore long-term or he leaves because yeah. like you said, it's easy for like the Eagles to look at a guy like a Jalen hurts who does run the ball a little bit, but that's not his superpower, right? Like, they can give him a huge contract with confidence knowing that he's he might get banged up, but if he gets banged up as he gets older, which happens to everybody, it's not going to diminish his superpower all that much because he doesn't rely on speed and quickness when he's running the football necessarily. And he can still throw the ball really, really well. So you'd assume that as he gets banged up and gets older and slower, He's going to get better as a pocket passer. So there's going to be a little trade-off, but you should get relatively the same amount of output from a Jalen Hurts as he gets older. But with Lamar Jackson, who relies so much on that superpower of being overwhelmingly fast and quick to the point where he looks like he's a different speed than the defense, yeah. you have to assume, because we've seen it almost 100% of the time, that as guys are getting older and they're getting more banged up, which he has been in the last couple of years, He's going to have that superpower start to diminish a little bit. And then what type of a quarterback do you have? If you pay him, let's say the Jalen Hurts almost $50 million a year, it's fully guaranteed, and you get him for five or six years, let's say he continues to play you know, 12 or 13 games a year and he's just getting these minor lower body injuries, you've got to assume that in two, three, four, five years from now, he's not going to be as fast, he's not going to be as quick. And does that not only erode what he can do when he's running the ball, but does it erode what defenses do to try to stop him? Because they're not as worried about him running the ball now, so they can add more resources into coverage, which makes it even harder for him as a thrower. And now he's done some good things as a thrower, and I think he's a much better passer than people expected when he came out. But we're not talking about Peyton Manning or Tom Brady right now in the pocket. So in order for him to be able to maintain his same output for the Ravens, he would have to get significantly better as a passer as teams are providing significant more of their defensive resources to stop him throwing the football. So it's almost like a double whammy right there. And I think that's what the Ravens are looking at and say, Hey, we want to be fair with you, but at the same time, we can't just ignore the fact that you have been banged up. And we assume that you're probably going to have to rely more on a passer as things are getting harder to throw the football later on in your career. Joe, just a couple more minutes and we'll wrap up with Joe Thomas, Uh, Joe, um, Joe Burrow is up for an extension right now. Mm. I, I would, in my opinion, he's the second best quarterback in football behind Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. You know, obviously, he's, you know, very accomplished, gotten the Super Bowl, got the AFC Championship game twice. You know, the, we're not used to the Bengals spending big time money. In their defense, they have spent more the last couple yeah. of years. They've, and mm-hmm. they've spent wisely. I mean, most yeah. of the guys they paid for have 
come through for them. But, you know, you got Higgins, who's up now. You got Burrow. Obviously, you'll have Chase next year. Logan Wilson is a hell of a linebacker. He's going to be up. How do you – I mean, obviously, they're gonna, Burrow's the number one priority, but you want to keep his wide receivers, too. Uh, we know he's going to get a ton of money. What What do you think – like, what's the outlook for them for the next five years with all the money they may have to outlay? Yeah, I mean, they may need to make things happen this year because yeah. it's going to be really tough. Obviously, you can't let Joe Burrow walk out the door, and I do think – because he is so valuable and it seems like he's going to be the type of guy like a Kirk Cousins where he's going to bet on himself. Like he's going to say, Hey, sure. if you don't want to pay me a 5% bump over the next highest paid quarterback in the NFL, eh, just franchise me. That's fine. I don't right, care. Right, right. I, I, no big deal. Like he's just Joe cool and he can get away with doing anything he wants. And so I could totally see him just playing a couple years under the franchise tag and eventually they're going to have to keep him. but it's going to come at a huge cost where they're not going to be able to keep all of their weapons on offense. Right. And I don't think it hurts him necessarily as much because I do think he's going to continue to ascend as a player. And so losing some of those weapons at receiver is not going to hurt him. You obviously, I think uh, you got to keep Chase, right? He's his number one weapon. Yeah. You got to find a way to keep him. And then you're going to just have to fill in and backfill with either uh, established veterans or try to pick up young guys in the draft and hope that being in a room with Chase and being in an offensive meeting room with Joe Burrow and having him bring you along is going to allow him, kind of like a little bit what the Packers have done with Aaron Rodgers, like to bring a guy who's maybe either young and inexperienced and bring him along and get him up to speed where he's talented enough where he can contribute. Um, or you kind of find that diamond in the rough in the draft or enough veterans uh, that have experience that can be where you need to be in order to open up things on the offense with chase but where it gets interesting to me is on that defense because when you have success on defense and you've got a bunch of like b pluses which is kind of how they built their defense i mean their defense doesn't have a whole lot of superstars yeah. but they've got 11 b pluses and they yes. play really really well together lou anarumo their defensive coordinator does a great job putting them in good positions and they're flexible that's why they made the run two years ago to the super bowl because their defense could hold up against anybody that they played against any style they could play with them so when you have a defense like that and you're not having a lot of success, those guys, you can keep those guys, right? Because they come to free agency and you don't have to pay them a premium. But when you're a team that's making the Super Bowl, or you're right there every year. Now those B pluses have a little bit of a premium attached to that's their right. names yeah. because they are on a successful team. And every other team in the NFL has this perception that, oh, they came from a successful defense and a successful team. I want to bring them to my team to kind of be one of the core guys that – are here to build my idea of what we can build on defense. And so you have to pay a premium for those guys. And then so the Bengals aren't able to keep those guys around. I remember when Scott Fujita got signed by the Browns in like the 2010-ish range, he had just won a Super Bowl in New Orleans. Now, he was a good player. He's a B linebacker, but we had to overpay to, to bring him here because yep. he was a Super Bowl champion. He knew how to win. And we were a team that was trying to learn how to win, right? And so I think the Bengals are going to deal with a lot of the Scott Fujita type things where their BB plus guys that have been the core of that defense are going to leave and they're going to have to be really, really good in the draft to be able to find a way to replace them because they won't be able to re-sign them when they become free agents. It's a great point. It's a great point. All right. I wanted to talk. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers there. So Aaron Rodgers approaching 40. He did not have a particularly great season last year. You know, I think there's a sense out there that because Tom Brady was still great until almost 45, well, then that's the new deal. And I'm like, well, that's not the new deal. That's just Tom Brady. He's a freak. Just like LeBron can play great at 38, 39. Well, not everybody else in the NBA can play. Just the greatest can play. I'm not convinced that Aaron Rodgers is like the Jets have put their all their chips in, into the middle of the table 
on Rodgers. I'm not convinced he's still a Pro Bowl caliber player. Now, he was two years ago, so maybe that's stupid for me to say, but everybody hits their, you know, going over the cliff point at some point. I think he's closer to it. Do you still think he has a championship run in him? The Jets are a good team around the quarterback. What do you, what do you think about that? I think he has a championship run, but it's not going to be more than one or two seasons. I don't see him like a Brady. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people that are really, really close with Brady. And I don't think there's ever been an athlete that's committed themselves more to their body and their game and their performance than Tom Brady. Uh, and I think that was really the key to long- longevity, right? Like he didn't have any hobbies. He didn't spend time <laughs> with friends in the off season. He didn't yeah. go out with the boys and drink beer. Like he spent 10 to 12 hours every single day, no matter what day it was on the calendar, yeah. like working on his body to try to keep himself young, to keep himself fit, trying everything you can possibly imagine. And he did it like he, and yeah. he never let anything, any thoughts creep into his mind about retiring or not being a quarterback anymore. I never heard any of his close friends or any of his former teammates in new England say, Hey, he's thinking about retiring. He's not all the way in or all the way out. Yeah. And I think that was the key. Like he always saw himself as Tom Brady, the Super Bowl quarterback until he woke up one day and it was like, okay, I think I'm going to retire. And obviously yeah. we saw what happened because he didn't really want to retire. And so he came back after right. retiring for a, a short amount of days. But the way Aaron Rodgers has flirted with retirement so much and talked about it the last yeah. few years gives me the perception that he is not as committed to being a quarterback as Tom Brady was. Now, I'm yeah. not saying he's not fully committed, but I don't think he has the level of commitment that will allow him to play into his mid-40s the way we saw from Tom Brady. So I do think he's still got a year or two left that can be good football, especially with the talent that he has around him with the Jets. But there's no way, in my opinion, that he plays well beyond two years if I had to just say an arbitrary number. You know how important it is to Browns fans, not only for the Browns to be good, that's the most important thing, but they also want the Steelers to suck, right? And the Steelers (laughs) have never, the Steelers haven't really sucked consistently Mm -hmm. since the 60s. I mean, it's been a long time. They've had some bad years and they haven't been that good to let, you know, in recent years, they've been kind of mediocre, but they're never terrible or they haven't been very often. Now, I don't think they're going to be this year. But what Browns fans are hoping is that Kenny Pickett doesn't become the next Ben Roethlisberger. Watching him in his rookie year, what? how good do you think he is? Well, I was like you when they drafted a rookie and it was no yeah. more Ben Roethlisberger. I was like, oh, great. Now they're yeah. going to have to deal with the crap that I had to deal with, that <laughs> Browns fans have had to deal with for the last 20 years yeah. of breaking in a young quarterback that doesn't know what he's doing. They're turnover prone or yeah. they just eat the football and have – 70 sacks in a season because they are so afraid of throwing an interception that they don't throw the ball at all. But then Kenny Pickett comes in and shows moxie and he shows confidence in himself. And as the season wears on, he plays, I thought, really good football at the end. And now I think his offense was holding him back a little bit. His offensive coordinator, I didn't love him. I didn't think he was super creative. Didn't put him in the most advantageous position uh, to win and to succeed all the time. Um, But I am a little bit disappointed as a Browns fan because I see a lot of good stuff in Kenny Pickett. He reminds me a little bit of Joe Burrow just with how he approaches the game with his mentality. I don't think he's got the arm that Burrow does. I don't think he's got the talent. And I don't think he's got the ceiling that Burrow does. But just as far as his moxie, his confidence, I think it's up there. And I think that gives him uh, an accelerated learning curve at that quarterback position. Because if he throws a pick, like – 
he's not afraid to walk back to the huddle and just wipe that clean and just go back to his fundamentals and throw that same pass again. And I think that's the mark of a good quarterback because you see so many rookies, they they make a bad play and they just go into the tank. And it's like, it takes three or four weeks to get him out of there. And you never see that with Kenny Pickett. And so I think, unfortunately, the Steelers are in pretty good hands right now. Uh, that's depressing, Joe. <laughs> All right, <laughs> no Joe. Hey, thanks so much. By the way, obviously Joe's doing the uh, the preseason games as he did last year. It was a great broadcast with you and Chris Rose and Aditi Kinkabwala. It was great. So I know you're excited about that. The NFL Network, you're doing work there. The Tomahawk Podcast, of course. Uh, by the way, I, I don't know if I've asked you this before. How did you – I mean, Hawk, he's another great – like you, a great personality, yeah. great guy. Um, how did you guys initially connect on that? And I, I know you're having a lot of fun doing it, obviously. Yeah, we just um, when we signed him from the Bengals, uh, yeah. he had been really good college buddies with John Greco, who's one of our guards at the time. Uh, yeah, okay. and so being in the locker room together, like him and Greco were buddies, and Greco would hang out near my locker, and all of a sudden yeah. Hawk would come over and they'd talk, and then we just started talking. And as strange as it is to have a short black receiver being really good friends with the offensive lineman, yeah. like. We just hit it off right away because yeah. even though on the surface it would seem like we have nothing in common, we just saw the world the same way. We were very similar as far as our dark humor towards going out and practicing yeah. and like the NFL. And and we just became really good buddies. And yeah. we kind of just fell into the media thing because he was a lot more into it than I was. He yeah. encouraged me to get a Twitter account, which I was appreciative of. And then he just <laughs> said, hey, man, let's just turn on the mics and start talking about our experiences and see what happens. And it kind of just snowballed from there. Joe, I got to tell you, I uh, use, I, I think of you when I talk, I coach my son's little league team and I say to the kids, all, I do think of you. I say the most important thing, like I said, never apologize for making a mistake. When the kids make a bad throw, they, they say, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, never apologize. You got to be a great teammate, which you always were be a mensch. Do you know what a mensch is? I know you're not Jewish. Maybe Mitchell Schwartz a, taught you. Yeah, what Mitchell mensch Schwartz is. would talk about yeah. a mensch, mensch all the time. It just means being a, like a good guy. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's it. Anyway, and uh, you know, just being a good teammate, playing a win, always playing hard, always giving full effort, and that's mm -hmm. what you did for your entire career. I'm honored to know you, and uh, you know, again, congratulations and thank you for taking so much time to, to spend with me today. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Bull. Yeah. It's been my pleasure, man. Thanks, Joe. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. Man, was that fun talking with Joe Thomas. I, one of my favorite players to cover. As I said, he's a mensch. He is the man. He's awesome. Ne never, I mean, I've interviewed him a million times. It's always fun to talk with him. He is, he's smart, great insight, like really not afraid to tell it like it is. Joe's the best. And I can't, I'm so excited that he's going in the Hall of Fame this summer. It's going to be amazing. All right, real quick on baseball. Um, I just wanted to hit on a couple of quick things, and I'm going I'm to give you a, a couple of picks, courtesy of Bet Rivers. I've been hot. I, I'm ten and five uh, picking baseball games. Stupidly, on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show yesterday, I decided to make a basketball pick, and I had the over on Donovan Mitchell's points, and so I lost that. My basketball picks have been not great. I'll be honest. I'm a little under 500, but my baseball picks have been on point, 10-5. I'm 10-5 and five so far in the season. So I actually got two picks for you today, but I'll save the for the end of the conversation. Real quick, uh, as we're now th three weeks into the Major League season, Tampa Bay continues to be on a roll. They're 15-3 and three to start the year. They started, what, 13-0? and 0, So they, they have, I say they're on a roll, but they have actually lost three of five. Um, but they did win yesterday. 
get back on track. So they're still 75 uh, plus 75 in the run differential. Uh, everybody in the East, though, is five, uh, 500 or better. Red Sox, even at, at nine and nine or six games out, uh, which is amazing. The um, the Nationals in the National League East and the A's in the, Nas- in the American League West are, are already eight and a half games out of first. The A's, I said before the season, would lose 110 games. They're on a pace to lose way more than that. They are three and 15 on the season. Worst record in all of baseball. Uh, and then you got um, Washington is five and 12 and, and Kansas City. They're pretty awful, too, at, at four and 14. But Oakland is next level bad. Like Kansas City's bad and Washington's bad. They're I, I, they're really awful, too. Their lineup stinks. But uh, but Oakland is next level bad. They're fan. They, they had like four thousand people at a game on on. Uh, what was it Monday? I think there were 4,000 people yesterday. I was watching a little of that game against the Cubs and it, there was nobody there They're They've been outscored by 76 runs. They've allowed 139 runs. I mean, that's insane. 139 to put that in perspective. The next worst is the Rockies who have given up 109. That's they've given up 30 more runs than the next worst team. 30. Crazy. Anyway, uh, some surprise good teams so far. I, I, you got to say, I mean, at this point, the biggest, the two biggest surprise, the three, uh, there's three, well, I'm no four. Three in the National League, one, then one in the American League. The Rangers off to a great start at 11 and six. I believe I picked the Rangers to finish. Did I pick, pick them to finish third? I think I did. I thought they'd be a little better this year. So far, so good. Uh, they're eleven and six, and they lead the, the American League West early. And then you got the Diamondbacks off to a surprisingly good start at eleven and seven. They're in first place in the West right now. Dodgers and Padres both off to bad starts. Padres can't hit right now. They got so much talent in the lineup, they can't hit. And then the other two big surprises uh, from a positive perspective are in the National League Central, where the Cubs are ten and six, third best record in. Uh, sorry, yeah, third best record in the National League, and the Pirates are eleven and seven. Tied for the fourth best, uh, yeah, tied for the fourth best record in the National League. Both big surprises. The Pirates probably even more. I expected the Cubs to be around five hundred, but I, I, you know, I thought the Pirates would be a ninety loss team. Now, I did think the Pirates are on their way up. I, I think in the next couple of years we're going to see them coming. They got a lot of good young players, and maybe they're a year ahead of schedule. I'm not a believer, especially because their run differential is only plus eight. But the Cubs have a plus twenty nine run differential. That's only four behind the Brewers and Braves for the best in the National League. They are pitching very well, and their bullpen is is leading the league in, in strikeouts per innings pitch. So and keep an eye on it. I, I, I'm I not a total believer, but uh, we'll see. So there you go. All right, here's my picks. <clears throat> I got two games for you today, and I want to bring up the, uh, the latest because I picked them about an hour ago with my TV guys, and I want to see if the, the line has changed at all. So I got the Marlins today. I had him at 105 originally. Uh, what is it now? There we go. It's still 105 at Bet Rivers. Uh, Marlins uh, against the Giants. The Marlins have been an, are another team that's that's playing pretty solid baseball right now. They got off to a little slow start. I'd say I got to add them into the surprise category too. They're off to a 10 and 8 start, but they've been outscored. But lately, they've played really well. They've won six of their last seven games. And it's been it's been the pitching. I mean, they've given up uh, three runs or less in five of their last six games, and you're playing a Giants team right now that that um, has struggled on the road. Um, 
They're they're struggling to score. I, and I liked I liked the Marlins a lot in this game. And then my best bet of the day is the Phillies. I had them at minus 120 earlier. Let me go back to my Bet River Sportsbook and see if that has changed. Uh, it's now down to minus 112, so that's even better. Now, here's the thing in this matchup. If you look at the pitching matchup on, you know, based on what's happened this year so far, you look at the basic stats, you'd be leaning towards the White Sox in this one. The game's in Chicago. And you got Mike Clevenger on the mound for the White Sox. It's a 210 start, so hopefully you'll hear this in time. But uh the Clevenger, you look at the numbers two and oh with a two twenty ERA. If you look at some of the advanced analytics on Mike Clevenger, they're bad. He is due to get blown up. The Phillies are due to blow up offensively. I think it happens today with Taiwan Walker. So I like the Phillies and the Marlins. Those are my picks today. All right, thanks to Brian Monzo for producing. And of course, thanks to the great Joe Thomas for joining me. I'll be back uh, with a live stream on Thursday and then on Friday with another edition of this show. You've been listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull, brought to you by the Bet Rivers Network. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network.